Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com, and this is Antiwar News for Thursday, July 21st, 2022. Thanks for joining me, and uh, we're going to get into a lot of stuff today. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of news, a lot of scary stuff going on. Um, the first thing at the top of the page, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said Wednesday that Russia's goals in Ukraine are now expanded beyond the Donbass region. So earlier in the war, Russian officials, the Russian military said that the focus was on the quote unquote liberation of the Donbass region. So these comments from Lavrov are significant because it's the first time we're seeing a high level Russian official say that their goals are now going to go beyond the Donbass. It's been clear for a little while, um, but this is the first time we're, we're seeing them say this. So the Donbass is uh, where the Donetsk and Luhensk People's Republics are. They're two self-declared breakaway republics. They declared independence from Kiev in 2014 after the U.S.-backed ousting of Viktor Yanukovych, who was deposed in a coup in the the Donbass republics, they rejected the post-coup government, declared independence, sparking the war in the eastern Donbass region that had been going on from 2014 to the day that Russia invaded Ukraine. The current war is still, you know, it's it's part of that war. And over 10,000 people died in that uh, conflict between 2014 and 2022. Now, so... For a long time, Russia, I'll pull up the map here for the people watching. For a long time, Russia has controlled the Kherson Oblast, which is north of Crimea, and mo- most of Zaporizhia, and that's the o- oblast east of Kherson, which connects to the Donbass. So having that territory gives Russia, you know, uh, a land bridge, as they call it, from Russia to Crimea. Now, there are Russian-backed military administrations in Zaporizhia and in Kherson, and their officials have been talking about holding referendums to join Russia. So it's a sign that, you know, Russia could end up taking these oblasts. Um, And, you know, these people that they put in charge, they have uh, an interest in joining Russia because if Ukraine ever moves back in there, they're going to have to flee or they're probably going to face... some consequences from, uh, you know, they're really cracking down on collaborators, uh, Ukraine is, um, so they would have to flee. So they definitely have an interest in joining Russia. Russia hasn't said outright that they plan on taking, absorbing those areas into, you know, the Russian Federation, Um, but this is a good indication that they might and that they plan to keep going. Now, Lavrov said that they had to, do this because, um, you know, peace talks, there's been no peace talks with Ukraine. Uh, there, the, during the last ones in March that were held in Istanbul, the last face to face meeting that they had, Russian and Ukrainian officials, when they had ceasefire talks, they recently, some officials recently met in Turkey to discuss grain exports. But the last ceasefire talks, Russia's demands were uh, for territorial. Territorially speaking, their demands were for Ukraine to recognize the independence of the Donbass republics and drop its claim to Crimea. And now we're seeing as the war drags on, Ukraine is looking at losing more territory. And before Russia invaded on February 24th, Russia wanted Ukraine to fulfill the Minsk Accords, which were signed in 2014 and 2015 to establish a ceasefire in the Donbass war. So it was a stalemate for many years. There were still flare-ups and shelling 
um, including on civilian areas for those years, but it was a stalemate pretty much for, uh, you know, the four or five years before Russia invaded. But under that deal, Ukraine had to grant autonomy to the Donbass republics, but they would still remain part of Ukraine. So you see, as these wars uh, have dragged on, it's going to end in Ukraine losing more territory. I mean, still their goal is to push Russia out of all of this territory. Russia is still making slow and steady gains. And that would have, that would take a serious major offensive to push them out. And Lavrov said that as the U.S. and other Western countries send more longer-range weapons, that means that Russia is going to push Ukraine further. Uh, they're going to take more territory. Uh, Lavrov said, quote, We cannot allow the part of Ukraine that Zelensky will control or whoever replaces him to have weapons that will pose a direct threat to our territory and the territory of those republics that have declared their independence, end quote. Um, so I said here in the article that the U.S. shows no sl- no signs of slowing military aid to Ukraine, and the Pentagon pledged on Wednesday that Ukraine will receive four more HIMAR uh, multiple launch rocket systems that we talk about a lot uh, that have a range of 50 miles. We'll get more into that in another article. And uh, Ukraine responded to Lavrov's comments by saying that the foreign minister proves that Russia rejects diplomacy and that they want blood and not talks. That was from Ukraine's foreign minister. Uh, but Lavrov said that peace talks don't make sense at the moment because Western governments are leaning on Ukraine to keep fighting and not negotiate. Uh, and I, as I mentioned, Ukraine has maintained that its goals are still to push Russia out of Ukrainian territory that it captured, including Crimea. And President Biden has said that the U.S. is prepared to s- support Ukraine for as long as it takes for Ukraine to win the war against Russia. So it's this is a sign that this war is going to looks like it's going to really drag out for a long time. And the U.S. is prepared to keep shipping billions of dollars worth of weapons. And as Lavrov said that the West discouraged Ukraine from negotiating, um, you know, the Biden administration, we haven't seen them outright say that Ukraine shouldn't negotiate with Russia, but they haven't shown any interest in pushing for a diplomatic solution. And Boris Johnson who uh, recently stepped down as British prime minister, he went to Kiev in April. And according to a report in Ukrainian media, he told Zelensky, even if you're ready to sign a deal with Russia now, we're not. And he was speaking for the collective West, according to this report. Um, the, the exact details wasn't weren't confirmed, but Johnson later told Macron, the French president, that he urged Ukraine not to negotiate with Russia. So the West is actively discouraging peace talks while uh, fueling the conflict by shipping all these weapons in. Okay, I spent a lot of time in that first article, but it is an important one. The next one here, U.S. and allies are discussing training training Ukrainian pilots on Western aircraft. Uh, the U.S. Air Force's chief of staff told Reuters on Wednesday that the U.S. and its allies are examining the possibility on training Ukrainian pilots to fly Western aircraft as part of a long-term plan to support Kiev's armed forces. So Ukraine has been seeking F-15 and F-16 fighter jets from the U.S., but its pilots are only trained to use Soviet-era planes, such as the MiG-29. Um, so the U.S. and its NATO allies, they, they've been saying, you know, eventually uh, Ukraine has to be outfitted with NATO equipment and get off the Soviet stuff. So I think 
this is in the cards for the U.S. and other Western countries to send fighter jets and train their pilots. It's another example of how they're preparing to support this war for years to come. Um, according to uh, something I read in Defense News, it, it would take three months to train a Ukrainian pilot how to fly uh, an F-15 or F-16 at just the most basic level. Um, so this would be a lot of training. Uh, and then this guy, the uh, General Charles Q, excuse me, General Charles Q. Brown, the Air Force Chief of Staff, he would he said that the U.S. still hasn't made a decision, and he wouldn't say which if the U.S. would send its own planes or if you know European countries would send their planes. Um, and the House version of the 2023 National Defense Authorization Act, the military spending bill for next year, it includes an amendment that would authorize 100 million for training. Ukrainian pilots that still has to get through the Senate. Uh, uh, the Senate still has to pass its version of the bill and then the two, two chambers reconcile it. Um, so that amendment might get through that process. It's not clear yet. It was introduced by Adam Kinzinger, who's one of the worst hawks out there. He's a Republican from Illinois. He, uh, he's been calling for direct U S military intervention through a no fly zone. Um, I mean, he's just a total, total hawk. Um, this next one, more weapons. Uh, Ukrainian first lady asks Congress for more weapons. So this is the wife of Ukrainian president, president Vladimir Zelensky, uh, Olena Zelenska. Uh, she said this to Congress, quote, I'm asking for weapons, weapons that would not be used to wage a war on somebody else's land, but to protect one's home and the right to wake up alive in that home, end quote. Before speaking to Congress, Zelenska met with Secretary of State Antony Blinken at the State Department and First Lady Jill Biden at the White House. Jill Biden previously met with Zelenska when she made a surprise visit to Ukraine in May. So yeah, Jill Biden, I mean, there's been a lot of these surprise trips from U.S. officials. A lot of senators have gone over there. Merrick Garland, the attorney general, went over there. Um, very... Uh, kind of strange PR trips that would, I would think would be very dangerous, you know, for a photo to get a photo shoot. Um, but again, so secretary of defense Lloyd Austin, he said that the U S will be sending Ukraine four more of the HIMARS systems as part of a weapons package that will be announced later this week. It will be the 16th weapons package that the U S sends the, uh, sends to Ukraine since Russia invaded. It's been a, it, It'll amount to about $8 billion in weapons that the U.S. has directly shipped to Ukraine. We know that $40 billion altogether, they've authorized $56 billion for spending on the war. But when it comes to sh weapons that have been shipped directly there, it's about $8 billion. That's just from the U.S. Um, so the four more HIMARS would make the total U.S. HIMARS sent to Ukraine 16. Uh, and Ukraine's defense minister has said that they need at least 100 of them for them to be a game changer on the battlefield. So they want lots more than what the U.S. is sending. So this next one is interesting. Zelensky's sacking of senior officials raises corruption concerns. So I thought this was interesting because uh, Zelensky, he fired his head, his top prosecutor and the head of Ukraine, the security service of Ukraine, Ukraine's intelligence agency known as the SPU. And this, these sackings have gotten a lot of media attention um, bringing up uh, the corruption in Ukraine's government, which we haven't really seen much coverage of that since the war started as the U.S. and its allies are shipping billions into Ukraine. And not just in weapons, they're also just giving money 
straight to the Ukrainian government, uh, billions at this point. So this is interesting because before the war, you know, they always spoke of Ukraine's corruption. It was always known as a notoriously corrupt government. It was always the reason why Western countries said they couldn't join the EU and NATO. And this article from AP that I read today pointed out that even during the run-up, the lead-up to the Russian invasion, the U.S. was still um, giving Ukraine kind of a hard time for its failure to crack down on corruption. This is something that the U.S. Embassy in Kiev said on October 6th. Uh, Quote, the EU and the U.S. are greatly disappointed by unexplained and unjustifiable delays in the selection of the head of specialized anti-corruption prosecutor office a crucial body in the fight against high-level corruption, end quote. And I also cited a report from Politico. They they quoted a Western official close to the Ukrainian government that said Zelensky's move appears to be, uh, the firings appear to move away from the EU's request for Ukraine to crack down on corruption and allow its law enforcement agencies to be more independent. And the report said that many anti-corruption activists believe the firings were an example of Zelensky using his wartime powers to consolidate more control. Um, In June 2021, so last year, President Biden was asked if Ukraine will join NATO. And he said, quote, the fact is they still have to clean up corruption, end quote. And I had to mention that while Biden's expressing concerns about Ukraine's corruption, his family has directly benefited from it after the U.S., ousted Yanukovych in 2014, the Obama administration, uh, then Vice President Biden's son Hunter landed a high-paying job on the board of Burisma Holdings, a Ukrainian natural gas company. If that's not corruption, then I'm not sure what is. But um, the State Department kind of dismissed concerns about the firings. But I also mentioned at the end here that earlier in the war, Zelensky banned 11 political parties, including the country's leading opposition party, known as Opposition Platform for Life. But for that move, it received very little criticism from the West. Um, Maybe it was just because it was earlier in the war and it was when the kind of pro-war propaganda was really heating up. So nobody wanted to touch it. But, um, you know, opposition platform for life, they had uh, over 40 seats in the Ukrainian parliament. Um, So, you know, it was a pretty significant political force that he banned. And it's all this is done um, over allegations that they're, uh, you know, Russian collaborating with Russia. Okay, so now we're going to get into Taiwan. And this is really interesting, I thought. So as I said yesterday, Nancy Pelosi is is uh, planning to visit Taiwan next month. And China has pretty forcefully warned against it. And so President Biden was asked on, by reporters on Wednesday night if he thinks it's a good idea for Pelosi to make this visit And he replied, quote, the military thinks it's not a good idea right now, but I don't know what the status of it is, end quote. So that's all he said. So we don't know if the administration expressed to Pelosi that the trip wasn't a good idea or if she still plans on going through with it. Um, But if she makes the trip, it will be the first time a House speaker visits the island in 25 years. But I think, you know, Biden is pretty prone to gaffes. I'm not saying this was a gaffe, but it might have been. You know, the, just because the military assesses something is dangerous doesn't mean they're not going to do it. We see this a lot where the State Department is more hawkish, where the Congress is more hawkish than the Pentagon. I mean, they just gave Biden $37 billion 
more in this NDAA than he requested for the military budget. And that's more than 37 billion more than what the Pentagon asked for. So, um, you know, we see Congress and other federal agencies being much more hawkish than the Pentagon. Um, so, but I wonder if what, what's going to happen with, with these comments, because they're not going to be able to ignore them. I, I wonder if the White House is going to have to clarify. We'll we'll see. Um, but the reason why this visit is such a big deal is because Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House. She's a very high level official in the U.S. government. So this signals to China that they don't respect the one China policy, that they're not really following the one China policy. Um, and that, you know, the U.S. hasn't had diplomatic relations with Taiwan since 1979. They were severed as part of normalizing with China. Um, but things are changing and we're seeing way more congressional delegations. Um, and, you know, China could re- respond pretty seriously. They've been responding with military activity around Taiwan. You know, maybe they do a rocket test or something in waters near Taiwan. Um, but we will see what happens if she goes through with it. And this is more Taiwan, more provocation. Um, China calls the U.S creator of security risks after U.S. warship transits Taiwan Strait. So the U.S. Navy destroyer USS Benfold made a passage through the Taiwan Strait on Tuesday, and it came after the ship, the destroyer, challenged Beijing's claims in the South China Sea by sailing near Chinese-controlled islands. Uh, China's People's Liberation Army said in a statement, quote, the frequent provocations and and showing off show that the U.S. is the destroyer of peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait and the creator of security risks in the Taiwan Strait, end quote. Um, so that, just a quick story there. I mean, this is pretty common. The U.S. sends a warship through the Taiwan Strait. About once a month is kind of the rate that it goes at. But but the, there it, there has been a little uptick in U.S. military activity in the region. I mentioned that ship, the Benfold, just challenge China's claims in the South China Sea. They do that by by sailing within 12 miles of Chinese-controlled islands. That's pretty close. I mean, if you're on the beach, you could see 12 miles out, uh, and it looks pretty close. Um, so, you know, it just seems like provocation after provocation. Uh, we have a report here from the South China Morning Post about how Trump-era Trump tariffs on Chinese tech imports Cost U.S. firms $32 billion, uh, which is interesting to read if anybody wants to check it out. Biden still hasn't lifted Trump's tariffs. There's been all these reports that say, oh, yeah, they're going to lift them. They're going to lift them. But then they never they never do. Um, so this is from Jason Ditz. Turkey attacks North Iraq tourist resort, killing eight. Um, so Turkish shelling... Uh, killed eight tourists in northern Iraq, in Iraqi Kurdistan. Um, I'm not sure what it, what they said their justification was. This says that Turkey accused Kurdish militants of the attack, um, but that doesn't really uh, add up with the reports that were coming out of the area. Um, but Turkey has been launching more attacks in northern Iraq against the Kurdish forces there. Um, and this next one here, ISIS kills six Iraqi police north of Baghdad. Baghdad. So there was an ISIS attack north of Baghdad um, against Iraqi police. U.S. troops are still in Iraq. And on paper, they're, they are there to help um, Iraqi forces to train them to fight ISIS. And the last one here, Iran says fatwa against making nuclear weapons 
is unchanged. An Iranian, oh, excuse me. Um, so on Wednesday, Iran reiterated that its nuclear weapons policy hasn't changed. It has a religious edict known as a fatwa against developing weapons of mass destruction. So this came after earlier this week, an advisor to Ayatollah Khamenei said that Iran has the technical means to develop a nuclear bomb, but hasn't decided to. So this, I guess, was just clarifying that Iran still uh, has a ban on developing weapons of mass destruction. And I linked to a pretty good report here from Gareth Porter in Foreign Policy. Um, it's called When the Ayatollah Said No to Nukes. It's from 2014. And it's interesting because this is the original Supreme Leader, the original um, Khomeini. And during the Iran-Iraq War, when Iran was facing chemical weapons attacks from Saddam Hussein, um, he was his advisors proposed developing nuclear or chemical weapons, and he rejected it and said that it, it was prohibited by Islam. So it's interesting, you know, they've had this longstanding policy for decades, and they're always accused of building a secret nuclear weapons, uh, building a secret nuclear bomb. Um, so that's it. That was the last story of the day. Uh, I just want to thank everybody again for listening and all of the positive feedback we've been getting. Uh, you could contact the show news at antiwar.com. And if uh, our fundraiser is still going, we're really close to finishing it up. So you don't have to hear me talk about it anymore. You could pitch in and help us out and help us get to the finish line. 